As men, we can become preoccupied with financial success. I've certainly felt that at times myself. But the team and I have designed a quiz that's going to help you improve your intentions to achieve better results for your career and business. And there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. But for now, enjoy listening. And the one thing that that made me feel for probably the first time in in a good few weeks was that I didn't want to die. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 50 in the UK. Dan felt like nothing in life was going his way. He'd recently lost his mother, a series of businesses he'd started hadn't worked out, and he was struggling with his mental health, when one evening he decided to go for a walk. This story contains graphic details of suicide, which some listeners might find upsetting. Just want to say that before we go into today's story, this is a really powerful episode, probably one of the most powerful ones we've ever done here at the Stories of Men Beneath the Surface podcast. We've considered it very carefully, weighing up the pros and cons of releasing it. It's graphic, but it's also impactful at the same time. So what did we do? We had many people listen to the episode, from people in men's welfare organizations, to counselors, journalists, and even community groups, to get their opinion on it. And they all came back in their majority and said, yes, there are moments that are graphic, but you need to be true to the person's story. You can't sugarcoat this issue. This is an issue that's taking men's lives on a daily basis here in the UK. You know, the main aim of the podcast is to create real and positive change. And this is the kind of episode that does just that. Again, think carefully before deciding to listen to today's episode. But what I will say is I've listened to this episode probably 10 to 12 times now, and it gives me goosebumps every time because it's all about hope and about realizing how precious life is and how we all need to make the most of it. Every second, every minute of every day. It was around eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And I'd pick that time on purpose because I didn't want anybody to be around. It was a big decision. And I didn't want to run the risk of anybody being able to persuade me otherwise. I didn't actually take a bag or anything with me. I just took a rope. And I remember wrapping it really tightly around my arm because I didn't want to be carrying a loose rope, which would arouse suspicion to anybody that was walking past. I kind of did that on purpose to try and hide it a little bit. And I thought it would have been dark, people wouldn't notice. And I kind of kept it into my side. And I'm looking for the perfect tree. And so I walked through this dense woodland. You know, the floor's kind of thick with weeds and moss and vines and all sorts of other shit. And I keep trudging in and I find a really dense patch and a sort of patch where you can't really see much through the trees. And eventually I remember walking, I kind of saw this perfect tree and it had this kind of branch going out. It was pretty much 90 degrees, looked strong enough to hold me. It was just above head height. So I had to kind of jump a little bit to get on it, but it was perfect for what I planned on doing. And so I tossed the rope over the top of it. I tie a knot. I went and found a little log and I put that underneath the rope. I remember standing there looking at this noose for a while. And I mean, it could have been half an hour. I was, tr- I was trying to prepare myself for what I was about to do. And I was thinking of everything that I'd done where I'd fucked up. I was thinking of 
The amount of relationships I'd ruined or damaged. I remembered the son I'd been to my mum and dad. I remember the brother I'd been to my brother. I remember the, the trouble I'd got in. I remember the you know issues with police and authority and all sorts of shit. I remember the, I remember the mental struggle, the, the lack of achievement, the failures. And I just felt worthless. And not only did I feel worthless, I felt like I was, well, I felt like a burden, really. Uh, I felt like I was fucking everybody's lives up. I thought I felt like I was going to continue to fuck everybody's lives up. I'd been in such pain in my head for so long that for me, it felt like this was the solution. It felt like this, this is the only way to free the people I care about from the shit that I've put them through and probably continue to put them through. It's the only way to free myself from the constant pain in my head. And um, it was the calmest I've been probably in a long time. There was probably also a part of me deep down that was hoping that I wouldn't do it or that I'd, I'd decided not to lose. There's always gonna be a little part of you deep down that's gonna be better than that. But overall, it was calmness. I was calm. Once I'd built up the confidence in my head to, to do it, I stood up on this log and I put my head through the noose. And then after maybe a couple of seconds, I, I kicked this log and sure enough, I dropped. This feeling that came over me was, it wasn't fear, it was terror. It's like your entire body seizes up. It's almost like rigor mortis, right? It's, it's um, that's, that's how, how scared you are. You're gasping for air and I'm probably swinging and, and fighting to get out of this thing, but it's really fucking difficult when it's that tight around your neck. No matter how fucking strong you are, you know, I might, I might go gym, I might have been a strong lad, Mark. I, you can't get your fucking fingers in because my entire weight's dragging me down. That's the point of a noose. I've never felt anything like it before. And, and the one thing that that made me feel for probably the first time in, in a good few weeks was that I didn't want to die. I mean, really didn't want to die. I mean, not just, oh, maybe I don't want to die. It was, I don't want to die. And I, I remember feeling myself falling. It was almost like, like kind of, kind of dreamlike. And I hit this this wet floor, and I was completely sodden. And I remember just starting laughing hysterically. You're at that point in the park. You're lying down on this sodden floor. What were what were your next action steps from that moment in time? That feeling was like an emotion that I've never, ever gone through. I mean, I, I can't describe it to you. And it, and it was so powerful to the point where even when I was going through, uh, you know, I remember having a really difficult first lockdown. I remember having a, uh, I've had a couple of failed businesses along the way, a couple uh, in brackets, a lot. Um, and uh, I've been to some pretty low places. And whenever I got to a low place where I thought I was going really low, I'd go back to that place. Um I've, I've been convinced a few times I've found the same tree. I don't, I'm not sure it is. Um, but I, I go back there because I try and... I'm never going to feel that feeling again, hopefully. Um, but I I want to get a kind of sense of that feeling again because I want it to remind me how that felt because that was the most powerful thing I've ever felt and it's completely snapped me out of it. it, it in fact, it made me want to go at life, right? Um and you know what the, the, the saddest thing that I thought was, and the thing that I think uh, kind of really gets to me, and, I, and the thing that I haven't actually heard anybody else talk about is, I wonder how many uh, men and, and other people 
get to that point of just before committing suicide or killing themselves and they get to that point and they feel that same feeling, right? I don't know whether it's just a feeling I felt, um, you know, uh, or, or whether it's this is universal, but I feel like it is. And I wonder how many people get to that point, feel that feeling, and then manage to go through with it. So I imagine I'd felt that feeling I feel like I don't want to die. Imagine everybody gets to that point, whether you're taking an overdose and you start going a bit hazy or whether you're hanging from a rope or whatever you've done. And then that fear, that terror sets in. You realise you don't want to die and then you die. I remember thinking, imagine if you could bottle that feeling and anybody who was feeling, uh, you know, like they wanted to do that and they got to that stage, you felt there was nothing left, there was no other way out. Imagine you can give them a little drop of that feeling, just, just, just show them how it feels. You, imagine how many lives you save, right? And I, th I feel like that's why I kind of, it's been a bit criminal we're not telling this story for the last 10 years because that that element alone, I don't think people have realised that. I, I, I honestly am of the belief because of that, because of my experience with that, I'm of the belief that I don't think anybody actually wants to die. It feels like it's the only escape, but I think deep down, you know, whether it's whether it's whether it's physically, because you know, because it's it's kind of our, in our nature, because we're an animal, we it's we're about survival, we don't want to die, or whether it's whether it's mental and it's something only humans feel that that kind of feeling, um, uh, I don't think people know about that. I don't think I, I don't think anybody actually wants to die. I had this strange sort of feeling when I was listening to your story that when you were lying there and the rope had had snapped and you're realizing I don't want to die. I, I kind of felt this sort of inspiration wash over me like, man, there's so much to live for. Life can be fucking great if you, you know, if you put the steps into place, if you, if you work hard. And in that moment, I, I was almost so happy for you because there's so much beauty in the world. I mean, look at your life now. I mean, you, you know, you, you're doing really well in life. You know what? It's made me a, a, a hell of a lot more resilient. It forced me to go on a long journey again and keep battling to get help. I've had one diagnosis and there's, a, there's probably a couple more coming. There's some pretty big mental health issues at play, I think, which have contributed to all the fuck-ups in my life and all the misery I've caused, which led to that moment. But one, one thing it's also made me do is it's made me fight to become a better man. It's made me fight to become a more open man, um, become more honest. And that has translated into both um, the way I do business. I, I go in boardrooms in scally clothing still with neck tattoos and Aleph and Jeff. I don't give a fuck who you are. You can be the CEO of whoever you want to be a CEO of. I don't care. I'll, teach, I'll speak to I'll speak to everybody else because... I believe in treating people the same and, and being myself. Everybody talks about authentic, authenticity, but everyone's got these different masks and things. And I'm trying my hardest to get to the point where I don't have one. Mm. I'm also wanting to share what you told me off camera when you got back home after being in the park. Because when you hear about suicide attempts and tough scenarios that people have been through, it's let's watch a, a film and eat ice cream or just eat some comfort food and cry, which is obviously a great thing to cry, you know, when, you, when you're going through tough scenarios. What, what did you do? I went in and I sat on the couch and I'm, I'm still damp um, from the ground. And my hair's still damp. And I, I hear that uh, it's actually the buzzer goes for the, it's the downstairs lobby of these flats. I lived in these flats in Blakely, an absolute shithole. And I thought, who's that? So I buzzed them in comes up to the top and I open the uh, open the front door, I was knocking the door, open the front door 
and it's uh, one of your best mates, Jack, and he's uh, he's standing there with a case of blood on his shoulder. I have two best mates. I have uh, I have two, Bunny and Bunny and Jack. Um, but Jack's the more sensitive one. But he um, he turns up with this case of blood on his shoulder, and I was like, what the what the fuck? I mean, it's like this is half an hour since I got back. He said, mate, I've been worried about you. I've not heard, heard from you for, for a few days. Um, and he's, Jack's always been very in tune with, uh, he's probably the only person I've ever talked to mo uh, a lot about my mental health because um, his own family have had their own struggles and he understands it a lot more, I think, than other people do. And he's a lot more receptive to it. And when we talk about listening, this guy can listen. And often his, um, his advice is brilliant as well. He, he doesn't force you down one way, he tries to kind of coach you into it. He's almost like a counsellor. He'd probably be a very good counsellor, actually. And he turns up, he said, I was worried about you. And, and I didn't tell him what I'd done. I didn't tell him what happened. And we, we go into the flat and we crack open this case of bud. I think we might have even walked to uh, Tesco again and got another one. Uh, we were absolutely battered. I, it was, it's honestly, still to this day, probably because of how I felt, probably one of the, my fondest uh, memories of a, 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 of a night with a friend drinking. I remember being the happiest I'd been in, I think, years, it felt like. I, I think years. And... And Jack stayed over, and I remember getting up in the morning, and there was, maybe had some bacon butter or something. And he goes, and I didn't actually tell him about that day, and I didn't tell him what he'd done and what it meant to me, um, and, and until until years later. Regardless of what he whether he'd done it on, on purpose or, or, or the fact, even the fact that he just came because he was worried about me, the timing was impeccable, <laughs> and I, and I I am forever in his debt. The image that kind of went through my head is almost like Santa Claus has arrived at your doorstep with a with a crate of Budweiser. <laughs> like you, you shall now be rewarded for your decision to want to stay alive. It felt like it was it was supposed to happen, even though it might not have. I'm not I'm not sure, but it almost felt like he he had done something that had told him that I needed help. He lived. He lived back in Berry. I was back up in Blakely at this time. So it's like, you know, it's a good 20, 30 minute drive. It's, it's odd. It's an odd decision to come up with a case of blood on a Tuesday night. We both got work the next day. I see. Um, I think. I think was it the next day I quit my job? Might have been. It might have been. Yeah, and then I, and then I started Vonkel, my first. Uh, that's when I went into the, the recruitment app business. And I remember getting funding off an angel investor about. I think I got, I got got the agreement about a week later, which was mad. It seems like a lot of great things had come immediately after. And it made me think about the power of absolute true, true friends. I know a big reason of you wanting to talk about this story and you wanted to share this one. I, I said to you before, and are you sure you want to share this? Because you wanted to help people who might be struggling right now, who might be where you were 10 years ago in 2013 in that park. I've had suicidal thoughts before and it's, you know, and thankfully come out the other end, but it's required a lot of hard work, you know, counseling and, and whatnot. But for those people who are listening, who are feeling like there's nothing good for me out there, maybe they feel like some relationships have broke down, they've made some mistakes. What, what would you say to those people? You know what? It's a really, it's a really difficult thing for me to tell them what to do because I can't just tell you to talk because we talked about that before. You might not fucking, you know, it might nobody uh, might have ever shown you how to, right? Uh, and I get that. Uh, I can't just tell you to 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 kind of go and get help because I've been through the system. Uh, and if you haven't got any money and you can't afford private health care, 
it was a game changer for me when I eventually got the money to be able to do it. It's a fucking game changer. The difference is massive. But if you haven't got the money to do that, you are going to go into a system that is hell, that actually makes mental health conditions worse. And I actually think a system that kills people because it's that bad and that frustrating. Because what's worse than feeling shit? Feeling like no one gives a shit as well, right? And that's what it makes you feel like. So I can't tell you to do that either. Um, the advice I'd give you is, is look to, if you've got one, and I, I hope you have, and I know not everybody else, is, is look to your support network and the people around you, right? I was lucky enough to have um, one or two people, you know, Jack and Banny particularly, um, who were there for me, right? And I mean, Banny's like six foot four, big lad, hands like shovels, doesn't um, necessarily share his feelings much, but he has always had this ability to make you feel like you're protected because he looks like a big bear. I remember when my mum died, he, he, everyone else doesn't really know what to say, so they say they, they either say the wrong things or they try and talk to you too much or they say that Banny didn't do that. Banny, uh, Banny just came in, he'd, already, he'd lost his mum a couple of years previous. Um, uh, and I think he just he just hugged me. Um, and that was enough. Didn't have to say anything. I knew it could, the biggest thing for me as a man was I knew he was there. And I think actually, rather than give people advice who are struggling with it, because I, I'm not sure you can give any advice that's right. I don't. I don't think there's a right channel for anybody. Some people don't have the money. Some people don't have a support network, uh, and and it's and some people don't know how to talk. Right. And so it's really difficult to guide people. What I will say is to the people listening to this, who even know someone who's going through some shit, right, or suspect that someone's going through some shit, actually you've got more of a job, right? It's your job, and I'm not talking. You have to go up there and force them to talk. Listen, this is we're all learning. This is fucking baby steps. But what I will say is go and fucking be there for them. Just be there. That's all you got. The biggest thing is to be there. The worst thing I think for people going through that is for them to feel alone. And I felt very alone in that flat. And I think that contributed massively to, 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 to me going finally deciding to do that. As I mentioned earlier, it's a sad fact that the biggest killer of men under 50 is suicide in the UK. And at this juncture, it's important for me to say that if you or anyone you know is experiencing thoughts to do with harming yourself, please contact Samaritans. You can call them on 116 123. That's 116 123, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And not just yourself, but if you've noticed other people in your life drop off or avoid contact, Check in with them just like Dan's friend Jack did. You never know, you might just save someone's life. This episode with Dan reminded me of another powerful episode we did with Mike McCarthy when the podcast was called Our Voices. He talked about his son Ross who took his own life. He's doing great work to help support people who are feeling suicidal, as well as helping to support families of people who've had someone take their own life and it's called The Baton of Hope. Have a listen to that episode we did with Mike and the link is in the show notes. We'll also put a link to the Baton of Hope in there as well. I just want to take this moment to thank Dan for sharing the story that he did, as powerful as it was. Since recording this with Dan, a lot of what he says has stuck with me and it's instilled a sense of appreciation and gratitude for my life and the people around me. And I hope that anyone like myself listening to this episode who has experienced thoughts around suicide or self-harm can also take a moment to see the good in the world, 
and decide against leaving it before their time is naturally up. Dan's successful advertising business is called The Middle Finger Club and I love the name. And it puts the middle finger up to ship marketing, as Dan would say. It seems like quite an apt name for the kind of personality that Dan is, as he's also stuck his middle finger up to the demons and difficulties he's faced in the past. And I'm so glad he has. I mentioned at the start about us as men caring a lot about financial success. The truth is, we all want to make money and excel in our work. But understanding what drives us to our definition of success is important. That's why the team and I have designed a simple, easy quiz that's going to help you learn a lot about yourself and help set realistic targets for success. It takes less than three minutes to complete. We as men can be incredibly successful, driven individuals, but how we get there is important to understand, particularly for our mental health. Through the man quiz, you'll answer questions about your identity as a modern man. The aim is to better understand who you are to achieve the results you want in your life and work. Click the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.